Hey, you know. Okay. Okay. So I had a few uh, mini observations I wanted to run by you. Okay. Number one, I went to uh, go to a coffee shop the other day. Oh, right. Because there was a bomb threat. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that happened after you got to work. It, it, so it happened. It happened on the way to work. Okay. And I got in. And I pull into my parking garage and there's nobody there. Mm. And I'm driving in the parking garage like, is this, did school end early? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And then there's one person who I know who was standing outside of her car on the phone. And she was looking kind of like concerned. And so I was like, what's going on? So I park, open up my phone. And I had an alert that was like, there's been an unspecified threat on the school. We're delaying opening until 10. So it's like 8.30. And I was like, okay, well, I have an hour and a half to kill. For a second, I was like, do I go in my office still? Yeah. It's like, who's going to check? You know? But then I was like, uh, God forbid something happens. It's like, right. there was one fatality. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. one guy uh, thought he could wait it out and so right. I blown up in his office <laughs> covered in nutter butter cookies and cheeses uh, I uh, uh, the only thing in there right now I've actually pretty much cleaned out oh, in really? terms of yeah there's almost no snack mm. I found a Kit Kat in there uh, in, oh, my, in my desk yeah. yeah it was about nine months old it had been opened and I ate two of the Kit Kats and then put it, it in comes your in desk. four, right? Rolled it back up, put it in my desk, forgot about it. Was very hungry, mm-hmm. opened up my desk drawer and found it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know, nine months in a rolled up package mm-hmm. seems like it's still okay, of course. Well, I know you're not the one to ask, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I think I've probably eaten a Kit Kat that has like mutated outside of its package, right? You seem to be the type of person that would break off whatever you didn't want to eat that has grown on something, and then yeah. just if you could get back roughly to what it originally was, you'd be like, Oh, it's good enough, yeah, yeah. So, I uh, so I was like, Okay, I, I need to get out of here, and I thought, well, what am I going to do for an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I thought that maybe local heroes opened at nine. Oh, yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. Those bums. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I was like, well, I might as well go over there. And there's a coffee shop right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I drive over there and I park and I get out. And I must have looked like an idiot because I was standing by the bank of america you have to park kind of far away and i'm walking towards local heroes well they have a parking lot and but it's like right off the busy street so what Nah, i'm not dealing with that that's not that big of a deal this is my life all right and hey we don't want to start i'm just giving you a heads up i'm just giving you a heads up next time just at least drive by it or i did drive by it to get to deal but i want to say that this is coming from the guy who had a hole in his tire and would just 
rather keep dealing with the hole than get a new tire. So anyway. Well, in my defense, I did not realize that used tires were so were like 40 bucks. If I'd it's, known that, I would have done it way sooner. All right, mister, just look up on the internet, you know? I mean, other things you can uh, you can find pretty quickly. You could just search it. Anyway. We all have our blind spots, mm-hmm. Keith. And so I park. I'm, I'm about to get to the street, and I look, and it looks like Cafe Stella is closed. Mm-hmm. Looks like they've, like, boarded up. I can't see any lights on. No one's oh, in there. Oh, you mean, like, out of business closed? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I'm... I'm and I just kind of freeze. I'm just left there. And I don't want to do the full, like, walk all the way across the street, mm-hmm. pull, find out it's locked, then turn around and have to go all the way back. Um, but I also, I guess I didn't think it through. I just ended up standing there for, like, five minutes from, like, 50 yards away, staring at it, trying <laughs> right. to see if anybody would move on the inside, which is probably worse than if I had just yeah. walked up, pulled locked and then walked away um so anyway i determined i was like well they look closed and the reason why i thought they were closed too was a starbucks open just across the street from them of course so i was like well i'm here i might as well go to the starbucks mm-hmm. and the starbucks was like super busy again because i i guess cafe stella closed so i go inside it is small it's miserable Every Starbucks has terrible parking. This is no different. It's uh-huh. crazy. So I'm in there. It's so small and people keep going in and out. It's like freezing cold. My phone is on like 3%, so I can't sit there and scroll. Wait so a Do you not charge your phone overnight? I thought I did. Okay. Um, and so I woke up and I was like, oh, well. I will charge it in the car on the way to work, and then I'll charge it at work, which is what I normally do. Right. Great. So I'm in the car, and I'm charging in the car. But then when I got there, and the bomb threat and everything, and then I'm there, and I'm you know trying to check my stuff in Starbucks. By the time I got everything, it only had like 8%, and then it, it worked on like 3 mm-hmm. So I had to sit there with my phone waiting while I, you know, and then I look, Local Heroes opens at like 11. I'm sitting in this miserable starbucks and waiting for the alert to come at 9 30 to let me know what they're going to do but uh when i walked into the starbucks there's one lady in front of me she goes up she orders her coffee the lady turns around starts making her coffee really quick she starts looking through her purse and pulls out some cash and so the uh the starbucks um barista comes back and hands her her coffee and she pauses and she's like oh i wanted a bigger size Mm. and so the barista's like oh that's called a grande right or whatever and so i'm already thinking i'm like comes into starbucks like you don't know like to me it just felt like anybody at this point in time Mm -hmm. who will walk into a starbucks they are playing a part if they pretend to not know what sizes are sure you know i just feel like either you know that you want a grande or you're just 
obscuring well, you can the fact just that look right at the menu, right? <laughs> just say large. Just say like you know what for is you. Is that what a grande is? A large? I, thought I don't know. Was like medium. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like had she used like that language to signify yeah, what she sure, wanted, sure. Then she could somehow she missed the mark completely and got a wrong sized coffee. Uh-huh. Which again, I feel like if you're getting the wrong sized coffee in this day and age, that's on you, a hundred percent. Like that's really hard. It, not just on you, but I feel like you in at some level intentionally wanted that to happen. Right. Well, like I said, you can always just look at the menu. Yeah. So anyway, she's like, oh, I didn't know. So she's like, oh, you want a bigger size? Okay. She turns around, gets the bigger size, comes back, and the lady's like, oh, I need to pay you more. And the priest is like, no, don't worry about it. Maybe that was the scam. Hmm. She just like pays for the right. lesser knowing that they're yeah. going back. Listen, just keep it. Yeah. You're sad. You don't know the yeah. true sizes of coffee. So anyway, she's like, oh, I have to pay more. She's like, don't worry about it. And she takes the cash and um, gives her her change back. The whole time, the lady is rifling through her purse. Mm -hmm. Like, I hear jangling and stuff. And she gets change in her hand. She reaches out her hand. She gets change from the barista. Coins. And then with her other hand, she drops coins into the tip jar. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to be like, do you, I, do you need some help? Sure. I, do you need some help on how just the world works? Like, <laughs> if you're getting change, you don't need to search through your purse for uh-huh. more change, right? right? To put in the tip cup. If right. you want a size, right, you just kind of signify the size that you want. Right. If you don't know the language, you look at the menu. It's right up there. You know what I mean? Or you just say small, medium, or large. So, or you just say small, medium, or large. That's it. You know? I, I, it just, I, I just wanted, I was like, what is your life? Mm-hmm. What, what was your life like? Sure. Yeah. Then today, uh-huh. I go to get a bagel. Right. And there's a bagel shop. And, um, it's called Yorgo's Bagel Dashery, right? They mm-hmm. use like the old termy, timey language. Anyway, I go in there and there's someone behind me. And the cashier, she like notices the lady behind me because she looks up. She goes, nice hair. For a second, I thought she was talking to me. But oh, I was like, okay. oh, there's no way <laughs> she's complimenting my hair. Yeah. And then from behind me, I hear someone go, oh, thank you. Uh-huh. And so she's like, hey, okay. Uh, then I go up, I place my order, a bagel and an iced coffee, step to the side. The lady behind me walks up, orders a large coffee, gets her coffee, leaves. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't understand, you know? Number one, I haven't been there enough for their coffee to know that if Yorgo's coffee is yeah. that good. Right. Where uh, it's worth going there and just getting the coffee. But why would you go to a specialty shop? The bagel is right there. Yeah. They have a, an assortment of bagels. And all you have to say is, oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, a blueberry bagel. Yeah, give me a plain. Yeah. Uh. And you get a bagel with your coffee. Yeah. I think, I think bagels are a hard sell, though. I'll expand it, though. I'll even go to chains, right? If you go to a Dunkin' Donuts and you wait in line 
you might as well just say, you know what? Give me a glazed donut. I don't even care if you if you don't really like donuts that much. Uh-huh. I think the other thing that bothered me was that there was a wait. Like she waited in a line. Well, maybe she just likes their coffee. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I just I don't know. I was like, is Yorgos that good? Go to a coffee shop then. I, I just wanted to be like, listen, I'll blow your mind. Right down the street, there's a cafe Stella just down the street, which I drove by the next morning after telling my wife, hey, it's closed. I can't believe it. A bunch of people are in there. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's it's open, I guess. Well, I'm sure Cafe Stella sells bagels. They don't. Well, I'm sure they sell some kind of food. Yeah, they sell something, but you can go there just for the coffee. They're, they're, they're not a specialty store. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think what bothers me is that it's a specialty. It is a bagel dashery. Like, yeah, that is what they do. Like, bagels and coffee is a thing, right? Right. But I guess, I guess again, the thing is, if there is no line... Maybe I could understand that. Uh-huh. You walk in, no line. Hey, give me a coffee. You could open the door and immediately shout up front. Hey, I want that large coffee. And they have it. And then you drop your $2, you grab it and you go. Yeah. But you wait in the line. Then mm-hmm. I say like, well, you know what? I waited. Maybe I, she I didn't, didn't have wait anywhere to go. For a coffee. Maybe she just enjoys being around other people. Maybe she wasn't waiting. Maybe she was living her life. Uh, yeah. Well, if she enjoys being around other people, that, that helps my argument then why wouldn't you just kind of be like hey don't give me a bagel let me sit and a bagel has nothing to do with being around people here's like half you're buying like half a loaf of bread and eating she she was there so much that she was recognized that's the other thing well then she very obviously likes their coffee yeah but i also want to be like listen you you there's no way that you are not that person that they laugh about you when you leave like, oh, here comes the coffee lady. No, I don't believe like, that. Yo, you know, here's the thing. I used to, when I was younger, I used to not rent certain movies that I was interested in. A perfect example is CQ. CQ was sure. a movie that I circled for a long time at Blockbuster. And I wanted to see because I had Jason Schwartzman in it. And I, Roman Coppola directed it. And I refused to rent it for months because it had a youth-restricted sticker. And the front cover <laughs> showed a lady in like uh-huh. a revealing suit or whatever. Uh-huh. I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy sure, who walks I get up. That. Yeah. And, and, and then I finally got over it. And I was like, you know what? They don't care like that. And uh, I started renting wherever I wanted. Then we had a friend who worked at Blockbuster and we went to go pick him up after a shift one time in college. I remember I asked him, hey, do you guys like have nicknames? And he was like, yeah, we totally of do. Of course. We know, we know the regulars. We, we have nicknames for them based on what they rent. And so, yeah, people who work, they, they talk about you. Yeah, but I just don't think just buying coffee is enough of a signifier to like warrant a nickname other than just like coffee lady. If you, if you work at a bagel dashery, I, I would argue that that is. I think you're too hung up on the name. Uh, listen, I, I would even extend that to Dunkin' Donuts. You know what I mean? Like a ge- generic place like that. You wait in a line. You're, you got to get something. You got to get well, I a mean, donut. But people swear by Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Well, that's what I'm saying. But it's not good enough for that's me to wait in a line and not. the donuts. It's just Dunkin' now. Is that official? I don't know. I saw it on something. Well, I can't comment on, on it until I know it's official. Fake news. Where did I? I saw that on something though, right? No, you're right. It's okay. probably official, but I don't know. But I mean, like, again, if I'm going to a place and it has 10 the feet name away, of the food 
in the name of the restaurant, you have to buy I that type of food. I have to get, yes, or else why am I there? <laughs> it's like going to Pizza Hut and only ordering chicken wings. Right? <laughs> exactly. In this case, it's almost like going to Pizza Hut and then just getting a Coke. Sure. Be like, listen, man, they just got really good Coke here. No, you get a. You yeah, get but a I mean, pizza. Coke is Coke no matter where you go. You know, that's what I'm saying. Coffee. Yorgo's coffee is going to be different from other oh, places. Oh, okay, here you go. I feel like we're talking to uh, Mr. You, you have a hot take on bagels, right? Sure. You think a bagel is a bagel? Sure. And you do you drink coffee or are you a tea guy? Uh, yeah, I drink tea now. Uh, but you used to drink coffee. But but, th- oh, but this but see this argument doesn't the work corner. for me because I have no distinguishing taste whatsoever. Right. I will eat a bagel from anywhere. I yeah. will drink coffee from anywhere. You're like Does a human matter. goat. Right. I just my I I'm more concerned with speed than I am with taste. How fast can I drink it? How fast can I eat it? And as long as it doesn't get in the way of that, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, I, I mean, it seems like you're on my side. It seems like you're just trying to put, put up a little bit of a fight. But basically what I'm arguing I'm not is. On your, I'm not on fu- your side. Fu- yeah, exactly. I have you're no not problem on my with side. people ordering only wings from Pizza Hut it, outside of the fact that Pizza Hut's wings are disgusting. But in theory, I have no problem with it. Yeah. I mean, to me, I just feel like. Especially yeah. if it's like a coffee place. If it's a like that's a that's a that's thing. what I'm saying. If it's a coffee place, not a coffee place. But it's bagels a bagel place. and coffee coffee with bagels is a thing. Like it would be strange. It to me, it would be stranger if the bagel place didn't sell coffee. Right. I'm just saying you could get better coffee at a coffee place. Sure they sure they have How sure do you, they have, have okay you had their coffee? Yes, How I do have. You know? I've had theirs and Cafe Stella's and Cafe Stella's is better. If you want coffee, go to a coffee place. If if the Bagel Dashery has coffee, they intend it to be drank, drunken, drink. <laughs> they, they intend for it to be drank with a bagel. Get a bagel. Bottom line, you're going to a place that has the name of a food in it. Get that food if you're going to get coffee. So, two pieces of homework that you've had. Yeah. Uh, I know you got through one. I don't know if you made it through the other. Um, yeah. So, I watched... Wait, well, which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I know that you watched Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. Yeah. Um, Buster Scruggs has some tie-in to Greta Van Fleet. So I don't know if you want for okay. Symmetry to talk about that because we can make a few references to... So, I, was- I watched... Or, well... I guess I would say I played the Ballad of Buster Scruggs from start to finish. <laughs> I may have um, checked out of a couple of the vignettes mm-hmm. because I had work to do, mm-hmm. because I've had a very busy week, mm-hmm. but it was on 
in some capacity while I was conscious in consciously in the same room. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so I watched the first one, obviously. Mm-hmm. I watched the second one. I kind of forced that on everybody, the first yeah, one. Yeah, but I rewatched it today. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I watched the second one. Mm-hmm. And then I had something come up that I had to do a call for. Um, so I think I missed the third and fourth ones. And then I watched the fifth and sixth ones. Does that sound right? Uh, are there six stories? <laughs> yeah, there okay. are. Um, there should be six stories. I put in the. Uh, I didn't have a time to check the notes either. Yeah, well, there's only so much I can expect. I do want to say this, though. One thing I asked you about was how bad it looked and whether that was just the 4K thing or not, because I thought it looked really bad when we watched it at Bill's. Mm-hmm. Um, A lot of people it hate is the look. Just the, it, to me, it is just the 4K thing because it looks totally normal on our TV, yeah. which is just 1080p. I think it looks great. So I think, yeah, I think that was just the 4K thing. I was just reading something about how all of the new 4K TVs come with like all of these Motion default smoothing. settings turned on, which mm-hmm. make things look really bad and you're supposed to turn it off. So maybe that was it, but I thought it looked fine watching it on my TV. I th- actually, I, no, I thought it looked really good yeah. watching it on my TV. It did right. not look like that fake, just strange, whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess that's motion smoothing, whatever. Um, but I also say this digital effects suck yeah and i feel like especially people like the cohen's should be going for practical effects as much as possible and i understand the appeal right and the convenience of it but see to to me it it works i didn't have a problem a lot of people have a problem with the way this film looks Uh, i I love the way it looks yeah and and the digital effects and stuff i felt like it all worked with the storybook conceit like even the digital effects and the blood to mm. me, it felt a little like larger than life and outlandish in a way that made me feel like oh, that's literary, you know? Yeah. But see, I don't see the digital effects of like, they just look cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like it gives it any sort of quality other than, Oh, that's just the bad digital effect that's done for probably budgetary reasons and convenience. And so it doesn't seem like a purposefully, uh, I don't know what the word is. It doesn't seem like a purposeful. Intentional. Intentional, right. Mm-hmm. Conceit to the story. I do feel like, uh, I think I read this somewhere. Somebody was basically like, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs can basically be boiled down to, if you like the Coens, you'll like it. If you don't right. like the Coens, you'll hate it. And I think that there's something to that, especially because I feel like, this felt the most like the Coen brothers commenting on their own storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were even, I, I felt like a few moments of like breaking the fourth wall, like, Hey, w- you're the audience to our stories. They also like to say like, you're the participants in our stories. I think in a lot of their films, mm-hmm. and there, there are a few moments of that where I felt like they're commenting on, the relationship of the audience to their stories and them as storytellers. Uh, even from the beginning where, where you have Buster Scruggs holding up his wand poster and being like, they say that I'm a misanthrope, but I don't hate my fellow man. You know, I felt like that was them commenting. Like 
you may say that we're misanthropes, but we're not, right? We're more like court jesters in a little bit, in a certain way, even though I think that they are also kind of winking and being like, we're also a little misanthropic too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I felt like, number one, just on a surface level, really entertaining, really like funny, well-told. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. As a segment, what do you think? Just your your initial take of the segment, the first one. Uh huh. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um. What do you feel like with that um misanthrope idea of Scruggs, right? Where he says, "I'm not a misanthrope, but he is a killer." Um, and he's saying he's like, "I'm just responding to the nature of man." That's all I am. Uh-huh. What, what, what do you think? Do you think that that holds? Do you think Buster Scruggs is just a force of reactionary to the nature of men? Or do you think he's more of like a, like a secret Anton Chigurh of just like, no, he is a kind of negative force unleashed on humanity? Well, I guess by default, he, he's a negative force just because he's killing people, right? Kind of has to be. Um, I don't know. I guess I didn't think about it too much. Uh, like you said, I kind of took all of this at surface value. I was looking for deeper themes, but I am, first of all, not good at that. Watching a movie the first time, at least. Uh, but also, yeah, like you said, it just seems more like a collection of sort of like, uh, Coen Brothers short stories were just kind of like this is just kind of like it's almost like a it's almost like a uh, like a portfolio more than mm-hmm. anything you know what I mean right I feel like for me um, Buster Scruggs and Anton Chigurh kind of play off they're like two sides of the same coin yeah a little bit to I can me. see that and the thing that I like they're, they're both kind of reactions or responses to the nature of man um i think anton shakur is more also like personification of evil unleashed upon man uh but i think buster scruggs is kind of to me he seems like a person who looks at the nature of the world he looks at all the peaks and valleys of humanity and he says i'm gonna have like a positive attitude to this Mm -hmm. while also accepting the valleys and so he is like this optimistic force of terror Mm -hmm. and to me it makes me think of the people who are just like negativity is a cancer right like you gotta stay positive stay positive stay positive Mm -hmm. it's like if that is your only driving force is to stay positive in the face of our collective humanity right then it's going to turn you into a psychopath like it can't help but turn you into like a smiling Uh lunatic who has these like bizarre notions of like heaven and redemption and what are all the songs for and Mm. how do we even get to peaks with the valley so low right if there Mm. isn't redemption yet he is a complete nightmare unleashed right and I just, to me, it, it had 
like a strong political reaction, you know, or, or political application to me where I do, I look at the, the kind of reaction even to like, uh, George Bush senior mm-hmm. dying, right? HW. HW. Mm-hmm. Uh, HW dies. And there is this polarized reaction, right? To either say, like, you see people are like, greatest American of all time. Don't you dare say anything that he wasn't, like, the best ever. Mm-hmm. And then people who are literally, like, cackling at his death. And I feel like, on the one hand, like, why do we have to rush to say, like, anyone is the best of anything when they die, right? Yeah. Like, that's not true. Uh, and when you play at that level, like, it seems kind of like you, of course you made mistakes. Like, why can't we say, like, mistakes were made, you know? Yeah. On the other side, you do have the people who are just, like, they're ready for anybody who they perceive as a cancerous force on society in some way to die. And then they're going to rejoice, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, it just seems like one side is saying, like, why so negative? But I also want to be like, yeah, a lot of people who are bemoaning and mourning the fact that HW died are just complete and utter psychopaths, you know, Mm -hmm. just with a smile on their face. They just kind of make the room feel a little better, maybe if they're there, Mm -hmm. because they have a veneer of respectability or of like fun about them, right? Buster Scruggs can like break out into a song and dance and distract people from the fact that you just like there's a dead body right there in you know in their uh midst uh Uh, but you know in the end he's he's not a positive force right you know i don't know it just it just kind of made me think like yeah that's a good encapsulation of kind of where we're at you know um what did you think about um him going to heaven essentially at the end well, so again, I think that kind of plays into the Cohen brothers, right? Where he is he is on his way to redemption, right? Mm. But I think either he is still kind of like telling his own story and when he gets to where he's going, it ain't going to be where he thinks. Yeah. Uh or that there is some kind of like, you know, yeah, redemptive force in this universe or that he in some way was a was an angel of God, right? That some angels uh, in the Bible are like unleashed on humanity and commit murder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. In the Bible stories, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, enacting the will of God was not always like, I bring you good news, right? right? It's like, it's so funny because you think about like, yeah, the Christmas story that we're coming up on, right? The first thing the angels had to say was, oh, don't be afraid. Sorry. You know, right? right? Like they show up and people are like, good Lord, we're going to die. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. We're, I know we look scary and terrifying. Uh-huh. And yeah, maybe, you know, we've, we've had orders to do certain things, but not this. So I don't know, like maybe there's that fact of like, hey, I was I was true to my nature, right? I was unleashed just like Anton Chigurh, right? Anton Chigurh is a is he is a system. He is he is, I think, in my estimation, he's evil, unleashed. And so but he has these rules. He meets a a gas attendant and he's like, call it. I'm going to flip a coin like this is the way it has to be done. Mm -hmm. It's arbitrary, but I've got to do this. Um, so he's bound by his nature to act a certain way. And Buster Scruggs maybe 
was that as well. He was just operating to his nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. Then we have uh, the second one, which is pan shot. Pan sh- but that's not what it's called, is it? It's called near Algodonis. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I like to call it pan shot. The one with James Franco. The one with, um, yeah, James Franco and, of course, when we come to record, I can't remember his name. I freaking love him. The guy who yells pan shot. Yeah. The old man. Yeah. Um, I still will think about him screaming pan shot uh-huh. and laugh to myself. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you think of pan shot? Yeah, it's good. Near, it. near Algodonis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was like, again, I think it was like beautifully shot. Yeah, uh, it felt conceptually, it felt a little uh, light. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it has that kind of deadpan. Again, I feel like when you're, when you're perusing somebody's portfolio, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, of course, it's going to be somewhere. It's like, listen, not everything. I'm not right. shooting for Citizen Kane on everything here. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, this is one where it's like, yeah, it's, it's fun, right? And it's like, yeah, it's Also, fun. James Franco is doing like a weird accent Deep voice. at the very beginning uh-huh. that I feel like maybe it, maybe it doesn't go away. He just doesn't talk after that. But yeah, he was doing a weird deep voice. Like his first couple lines, I literally had no idea what he no, said. I thought that he, he was like overdubbed. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So I'm with you. But I thought that was great. Um, yeah. Again, I don't think there's much deeper than just the kind of gallows humor mm-hmm. wink of, mm-hmm. of the punchline of it. Um, then you have the third one. So this is kind of where you started. Yeah. So the third one. The fourth one, I'm pretty sure I know which one it was and what it was about. The third one, I could not tell you anything Th- about. third one's Meal Ticket with Liam Neeson. Oh, okay. And so... I remember Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah. So the, the fundamental... You know what's so funny? This is the one that I... This is the one that I wanted to talk about last time. <laughs> of course. Um, basically, this one, Meal Ticket involves a legless armless that's right performer okay yep. and liam neeson is kind of dragging him around looking after him mm-hmm. um they're like circus people or whatever well he's like the manager and then right. this guy will kind of do oratory he mm-hmm. will do passages from plays and scripture and you know um the constant political speeches mm-hmm. the constitution whatever and um and so they'll they'll just travel around and set up and then he'll give his speeches. And it kind of tracks his decline where the first show, a lot of people come out, they're moved. Um, and it ends with Liam Neeson not really being able to make money off of him anymore. Uh, but there's a counting chicken mm-hmm. uh, that comes along right. and he buys this chicken. And he ends up kind of killing the armless, legless performer in favor of this counting chicken. Mm-hmm. And I think the allegory is pretty clear in that, you know, in the nature of entertainment, mm-hmm. the counting chicken will win out every time over Mary Shelley's Ozymandias. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and to me, that was, again, going back to, I don't want to help prop up chicken entertainment you know sure At the same time the moon doggies can some, <laughs> sometimes sure. deliver just that uh 
pure pleasure of watching a chicken. Well, it also seems like it's a pretty distinct um, call to like capitalism, isn't it? Or our current economic system where it's like he's sacrificing this person essentially for a cheaper like it's obviously oh. it's going to be a lot cheaper to carry around and take care of a chicken than it is a amputee yeah well what's so funny you know a, a minor controversy which i do want to say again i think is totally bizarre i think that we can say that it's totally bizarre at the rate to which things happen in the news of like importance mm-hmm. it's too much it's just too much. But back when Facebook was crumbling, um, beginning to crumble, it was, re- it was revealed that they also helped kind of propagate the phony um, market research that kind of helped uh, a bunch of publications pivot to video as a way of being more marketable. Mm-hmm. And then it was revealed that like, Pivoting to video is not as marketable as first thought. Right. And it was all based on kind of like phony research. And so you had a lot of print publications pivot to video and then fire a lot of editorial staff because this was the profitable way forward was to do more videos. And now it's revealed that like, oh, that's not really the case. And it's just so bizarre that, yeah, like that happened and that passed by. And no one really stopped to comment like that is a huge pivot yeah. in our not just entertainment, but media coverage and news coverage. Vice did that. Vice pivoted to video and fired a bunch of people, right? Um, and then now these, these places are stuck with like it costs a lot to produce video mm-hmm. and you can't do it as quickly as print and all this other right. stuff. And that, that is a huge kind of like um, like topography shifting uh, development. And we just kind of let go. And people are just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a, that is like we, we elevated the chicken there. You know, we totally mm-hmm. threw the performer in the water on that one. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to make the chicken work for us, you know, so. Totally. It's, it's a hundred percent that I think. Yeah. Whatever's easier to market, whatever's more provides more like brainless interaction. Right. Um, that's always going to be more marketable and profitable in the end than yeah. Come, come gaze upon your mortality, right? This armless legless person who is going to remind you of like, Oh yeah, our bodies are breaking down. Right. right. As he recites like very thoughtful, important, you know, literature and and political philosophy it's like yeah who wants that (laughs) give me the give me the chicken that can point to the number that can do minor addition (laughs) you know what i mean so uh yeah so there's that then then it goes to one of my personal favorites which is all gold canyon right with um tom waits as a gold prospect yeah guy with the beard yeah i didn't i didn't realize that yeah um for me i don't know i can't really describe it it's it's one of the ones that stuck with me the most it's the most 
kind of vivid in my mind. I've watched Buster Scruggs twice Mm -hmm. and I've watched certain segments more than that. I've watched this one like five times. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the way it's shot. I love the way Tom Waits acts it. And I just love the story that it tells. I think it's, I think it's subtly one of the most kind of like big thematically. Right. Um, in terms of what it's addressing, uh, while also just being a story about a guy who, a gold prospector who is out to find some gold mm-hmm. in this beautiful landscape. Um, how much of that one did you watch? So I think I missed the beginning of that. And uh, I was seeing parts of him sort of like panning for gold and not getting much. And then he finally uh like breaks open a rock or he like finds like mm-hmm. a significant vein. Yeah. And he gets shot in the back. Yeah. And is he shot in the back by like a partner or somebody he knew? It's just as a random person. Okay. So And then after that I was paying attention. <laughs> and then you weren't paying attention? I was paying attention. Oh yeah. Yeah. When he screams, uh you yeah, didn't so, hit nothing important. Right. Yeah. I love it. Um to me, just you describing how this is playing, I almost imagine like, you know, this is how God kind of keeps tabs on humanity. It's just like a screen playing where he's like <laughs> looking. He's like, oh, they're, uh, you know, they're, kill- they're, they're trying to find some gold. You know, right. and he goes off and does something, comes back. He's like, oh, <laughs> they got shot. What's going to happen? And then yeah. humanity pulls through. I also feel like this is something that I would love to just have an endless stream of Coen Brothers shorts playing mm-hmm. on a TV. And I could always just pop in and see like what's, what's going on with one of their characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like, again, they, they just have, it's not just characters that are vivid, you know, any good writer can, can make a vivid character, but it's that they are, they, they seem to represent more, there seems to be more intention behind their characters than meets the eye. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. And everyone kind of says this about the, uh, the side characters in their movies. Um, you have the cattle. Um, he's not a cattle rustler, but buyer in um, True Grit that the girl sells her horse to mm-hmm. and she barters with. Okay. Like that, guy is, that guy still sticks in my mind. Uh-huh. He doesn't even really have a name, but I remember him. And they just make these really vivid, alive characters that can convey so much in just a short amount of time. Right. By the way they they look, by the way they're written, which I think speaks to the last vignette that they have, where these characters, like, what does it all mean? I don't know, but the characters are so kind of alive and vivid. It seems like it means something important, you know? They just have a way of conveying gravitas. Uh, in their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's like the same thing. Like I get to the point where, um, you know, I, I think about like, um, <laughs> trying to find a way to not pretentiously say this, sure. but I, all, all just to say that the last lines of Big Lebowski come back to me often where you just have, um, what's his name? The narrator of it. We just oh, talked Sam about Elliott. Sam Elliott just saying like the dude abides. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's out there doing his thing. And it's just like, I don't know. It, it feels like it's means something. 
which is so funny that the Big Lebowski, which feels so ramshackle and loose, would mean something. When I watch the Big Lebowski or hear that line, I'm like, all the answers are in there. Uh-huh. All the if we if right. we slow down and kind of really pick apart Big Lebowski, it, it could crack open the universe. Uh-huh. Like you know what I mean? Sure. And that's the way I feel about all Gold Canyon. It's just there's a lot going on there. It just mm-hmm. means a lot, even if I can't articulate it or don't want to because I feel like I'll cheapen it by yeah. you know yeah speaking about it. Yeah, I understand that. Um. Then you have the gal who got rattled. Okay, yep. I now I did watch that one. What'd you think? Well, I liked it. Yeah, that's the most I think kind of like calling card of the Coens right. in this set. Where yeah. when you say like what, what are the Cohen brothers about? I'd be like, watch the girl who got rattled. Right. That is every one of their films is is the, is some aspect of that. Yeah. You know. Um. So again, I I loved it. And then The Mortal Remains, the last one. So yeah, so that was another one where I was a, a little checked out, but I think I got the gist of like a bunch of people are riding in the stagecoach telling stories to each other. It's like, okay, I get it. And then it was over. Yeah, it kind of, it feels like, <clears throat> I think I read somewhere somebody mentioned Edgar Allan Poe, and it does feel like Edgar Allan Poe by way of Coen Brothers. Yeah. Which I love Edgar Allan Poe. Um, yeah, but, you're, you're definitely like, there's definitely like a tension that's building up Yeah, that you're not quite sure of like where it's coming from or what it's leading to, but it's mm-hmm. definitely there, uh, which was interesting. And I also, um, obviously what stuck with me the most, cause I wasn't 100% tuned into the dialogue was the, um, the way that the, uh, the um like scene changed over time and mm-hmm. like the color temperature and all yeah. that was really great. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on really subtly in that. Mm-hmm. I think also it just it to me it made me feel like you know what what are we doing when we're debating philosophy or religion or when we're doing a podcast, mm-hmm. right? We're in the back of a stagecoach getting driven to somewhere that we can't determine you know we're on rails we're not changing our outcomes we're all gonna die and uh and and we're all just kind of like bickering in the back of the stagecoach yeah and then one day we're gonna arrive and that's it you know and it's gonna be kind of like we had some passionate arguments and discussions but in the end we're here Mm. and it doesn't really matter what you debated uh, in the stagecoach Because, you know, one guy's just rattling on about his life. Right. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. And then, he, and then what gets other people involved was when he says, like, we're all just, what does he say? We're all just ferrets. Uh-huh. The same. And then one lady wants back, we're not ferrets. They're high class and low class. And then one guy's uh-huh. like, we're all just driven by our passions, you know? And so he's like, that that's when I was like, ah, that's what we're, that's what we're doing here. Right. We're, we're debating, you know, kind of philosophies here. Yeah. So. Um, the other thing I want to say, and, and I think other people have mentioned this, but I feel like if, if somebody was interested in kind of figuring out what this all meant, 
I do feel like you'd have to go back and pay attention to the music. You know, it, it starts with music and then the last segment ends in music. Mm-hmm. There are two songs that are sung by the characters in the stagecoach. And I think even throughout, music is used in different ways. I just think that there's something there. If you, if you probably like pulled the lyrics or whatever, or looked at like the, the music they're kind of riffing off of, I feel like that would be one way to kind of understand thematically what they're, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, I think music is interesting in this, but it's definitely something that has stuck with me. You know, after I've watched, I've thought about those vignettes a lot. And it's something that I could see myself just returning to again and again and again, just even playing the whole thing. And like you did, just in and out, just mm-hmm. stopping here, here and there. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. I, I, I would like to uh, obviously sit down and watch it while I don't have to do work. Yeah, I do feel like... If there is a movie that as you get older and I feel like your, your taste is more and more narrowed in, in what interests you, mm. I did feel like when I watched the first episode, so I watched, I watched like half and then I showed you guys when we were up in New York for Thanksgiving. I was like, oh, watch the first one. Mm. But it was something where I watched the first one going in the second one. I was like, I th- this is one I feel comfortable being like, Justin, watch. I think that... The, I think this would, you, you would like a lot yeah. of things I recommend to you where I'm like, he's not going to like that. Or I truly don't know. I felt like this is like, no, this is, I think, I think you would yeah. get this. I will say too, I think, uh, one of the things I do like about it is that all of the segments are pretty short. They're all like 15 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, some are shorter than that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But none of them are like way long, you know, like, I'm like I'm thinking about like, pastoralia that i finished it's like you get some stories that are like a couple pages and then you get some that are like 70 pages and it's like okay this is i mean i still really liked it obviously but i what i liked about is that none of them at all felt like they were ever like dragging on or too long or just like filler you know Mm -hmm. what i mean even though it is over two hours long absolutely yeah i've i mean i feel like the longest one is the girl who got rattled. Yeah. And even that is just like, it's filmed so well. Right. I mean, even that shootout at the end is just filmed so well. Yeah. Um, Although I will say uh, people falling off their horse and just being like dead, I guess. Like what, what is it? Like there's a little bit of a conceit that I wasn't willing to. For which one? To make. When the. When, when they found the prairie dog. Shoot, yeah. And holes? the horses are stepping in the prairie dog holes. And then the Native Americans fall off their horse and then they're just dead, I guess. I didn't, I didn't or see. Or unconscious. Right? I didn't feel like they were dead, but I felt like at that point they would run, like, retreat. Because yeah, they did, like, you know, the two waves. Right. I, I felt like, hey, as soon as we're off our horse, then we're, we're no good against a guy with a rifle. He's just going to shoot us. Yeah, but I liked it. Yeah, I, I think I loved it.
something that I did devote all of my attention to uh, while I was walking the dog. So if my work comes back and like is angry at me for using all the data on their plan, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give them your number. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll defend it. I'll just I'll just talk to them about my theory on this thing till they hang up. Sure. So what I'm interested to hear you talk about is like what is your connection to this thing? Because I appreciate it on a like written level and like a how it's constructed and edited and I like the aesthetic of the whole thing but outside of that first um UFC championship that they talk about I have pretty much zero connection to MMA fighting even boxing um and so i appreciated it on the level that i appreciate listening to somebody talk about something that they're really passionate about Mm -hmm. but that i don't relate to in any way you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so I liked watching it. Obviously, it's it's written and narrated, kind of spearheaded by Felix Biederman from Chapo, who I really like. But even the like social and political connections he was making, just nothing registered for me on that on that front. Um. Okay. Well, I I have a pretty. I think simple take on it um which is my my take so number one uh there there is the stated kind of theme that he says at the end which is like mass culture destroys it's a consumer yes it is a yeah that to me was the most interesting part of the whole series my my take even before he got there was let's look at the political and market factors that are at play in making a fringe element of a society mainstream or marketable what determines that you know how do you, how do you determine this thing is fringe and we we are not about it. We we as a society reject it. To this is valuable and worth our time and consideration. Um even if you just look at sports, right? Like why in America are we all about football and not soccer? You know? Why is lacrosse not a big sport or whatever? Mm. And you you realize like, oh yeah, there were market factors yeah. and all that things. And you know, whether it was timing, hey, this sport just got there before the others did, or this one was driven by a guy who just wanted money more than the other people did. Um, that all aspects of our culture have those forces behind them. Rarely is something just absorbed into culture because the culture wanted it. Mm-hmm. It's all been packaged and sold to us in some way, shape, or form. Politically, sports-wise, everything. 
you know? And so I thought it was interesting because you do have a sport that is just like violent and has very few redeeming qualities mm-hmm. it, other than like watch this guy rip this guy's you know arm out of his shoulder. Right. Uh, that that is getting more and more mainstream, right? Ronda Rousey, or like you have people who have like elevated to the pinnacle of our culture. Um, and I was very interested to see him do that. And I think they really did a good job of, of showing that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it made me think like specifically violence. Because I think that's the biggest knock against this. Mm-hmm. It's just like people, you know, if a nose isn't broken, then someone's doing something wrong. You know what I mean? This sport. Whereas other sports, it's like, ooh, they broke their nose. Ew. Get them out, off the court. Don't let, make me look at it, right, in basketball or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you go deal with that, like, out of, the, out of the sight of the public. Right. And in MMA, it's like that's what they, they want to see blood on the mat, you know? Um, and so I was thinking about, like, after a shooting or something like that, what ends up getting trotted out is video games. You know, violence in video games, violent mm. culture, video games. Because video games are more fringe, right? People have maybe tried to market those, make it make it more of a mainstream thing. And it's and it's not. It never will be. It'll always be a profitable fringe thing, but it's a great scapegoat to trot out because people can like sacrifice it on the altar of you know, oh, it's, it's violent. Our, our society is so violent. And look at these games, right? It's a mm-hmm. great scapegoat. Um, and it's such a small niche market. It's not going to, you know, kind of destroy it. It's, it's kind of indestructible. The people who like it, they like it. And they're enough to support the game market. Um, these political discussions largely have no place. It's all for show. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while you watch those people debate violence in video games, down along the bottom, there's a scroll of like, you know, U.S. strengthens ties with Saudi Arabia right. despite dismembered journalists, <laughs> you know, or family separation still going on, you know, uh, families tear gassed at the border. Yeah. And that is violence. That is that is violence yeah. in our society. I, I can't raise indie in a in a society free from violence when you have people who are like, build the wall. There's a a caravan of disease coming our way. Mm-hmm. Who's ready to go defend it with me? Grab your guns. You know, like that is a sick violent culture at, at work not necessarily video games or MMA, right? Those are either reflections of the culture or reflections of forces that are at work in a culture. I think that's what Felix Biederman really shows. Mm-hmm. It, where was the birth of all of this? Going all the way back to Japan and the factors at play. And then how is that morphed through cultures and factors and markets and all of that to make it what it is today? So anyway, I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he did a great job of subtly 
explaining the political factors at play uh, in something that's that's hard to do. I think the Chapel guys maybe get a a, a raw deal on on how they manage sincere political commentary with satirical, mm. you know, riffing. I thought he did a great job of really um, kind of targeting his political shots and not going too far off script or riff or riffing. He was using them to make a point. I thought every time he did it, the point was, was really well made and, and clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, the mo- the most interesting point was the, like you said, at the end, the sort of summation or not even the summation, just sort of the, uh, the conclusion that like this has happened a million times before it'll happen a million times again and it'll happen to the thing that you love Mm -hmm. and it's not something that is like particularly insightful to say i feel like just because that's is what happens to like everything you know what i mean like you think about like like your favorite band or whatever like there are very few of those bands who like keep the like truly independent sort of DIY nature throughout their careers. And you see like the few that have done that have lived like mostly miserable lives. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There's yep. like a reason for it. Um but just by its nature, that sort of like rise and fall and rise again storyline is like really interesting mm-hmm. regardless of what the subject matter is yeah. so that's why i liked it so much and was able to you know he does a great job of keeping you interested in that yeah history i, I think each episode is really good and and he talks about like what the payout structure for ufc fighters was i mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting because again you have this idea of like Built-in gratitude that is assumed by, I don't want to call them job creators. I feel like that gives people, that gives business owners or whatever too much credit to be like, we are the job providers. And what that, what that implies is we can do what we want. Mm. We're the job providers, so you need to be grateful that we're here that we exist that we want to be here in america or whatever because we could go wherever we want um or that our workers need to be grateful for whatever we pay them yeah and there's no thought to like what's the payout structure here it's like dana white is going to try and make money as much money as he can right and he's gonna do a deal with reebok or whatever and and reward himself because it's like Hey, I got Reebok. Don't I deserve a bonus of whatever? And in a in our modern kind of corporate CEO structure, that's exactly how it's treated. Right. Hey, you brought in a profit or you expanded our business, you know, deals. So yeah, why don't you take a little 30 million for yourself? Right. Meanwhile, the people on the factory floor who had to work more to to increase the the product right. for the to new whatever the demand, who are actually who are actually the ones creating the product yeah they get 
nothing. Right. They not only do they get nothing, they are also then even more restricted in what they can do. Exactly. And yeah. so that's the same thing. And, and you see it at work in the UFC, right? Reebok signs a deal. Everyone says like, oh, they're legitimate. Oh, great job. Oh, Dana right. White's doing an awesome job with the UFC. Right. And meanwhile, now the fighters can't get paid because yeah. they have to do Reebok. I can't wear my Condom Depot shorts anymore. Exactly. <laughs> condom Depot. It's like, hey, Condom Depot's paying. Like, yeah. Right. they And they're the ones shedding the blood on the mat. Yeah. Like, again, UFC creates a stark contrast of the political arguments at work here in the forces because you can see the blood on the mat Mm -hmm. in the factory yeah you can't see the blood on the mat right it's just like they should be grateful yeah clock Mm -hmm. in clock out like you got a job right uh but meanwhile these people are and like he said they're getting paid to get brain damage and some of them are getting paid twenty thousand dollars a year to get brain damage right they deserve more period yeah you know Okay. Yeah. So Fighting in the Age of Loneliness is available online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go type that in and Google. They have a website that's really good. Oh, really? I just watched it on YouTube. Yeah, I watch on YouTube too. But no, I went there because I linked it on like Facebook. And yeah, it's a really, again, well-designed. I really like the graphics in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of their music I feel like is trolling. It's like some upbeat stuff mm-hmm. sometimes. I was like, what? What is this? But I felt like. They're smart enough that they know they're like, yeah, I thought it was just for the contrast, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't paying that close attention to the. I definitely noticed a couple of the music cues, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it was done just to sort of contrast the violence and sort of like the starkness of the nature of the content. Uh, but it, I also felt like some of that was just for the aesthetic of the whole thing because it's got like a very 80s mm-hmm. you Feel. know like vector graphics yeah uh synthesize synthesizers like a lot of that stuff going on i love the basic <clears throat> layout of like someone's career yeah and then as it intersected yeah. i thought that was really smart uh and i really yeah i really like the graphics I really like the side stories that Felix told. I want mm. more, I, I like want more of that. Of just tell me all the bizarre, you know, kind of personalized stories of these fighters. Because some of them are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, so you've never watched MMA, right? You're not like an MMA guy. Never. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> this is how I want my relationship with M- MMA to be yeah. through Felix Biederman. Yeah. Yeah. I watched. Um, so growing up, we had, I don't know if you are familiar at all, but we had um, those, we had like one of those black boxes, like the pirate boxes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That my dad somehow got through like, I don't know, some other firefighters or something, but like those little black boxes that gave you every single channel illegally, yeah. essentially. So that first, very first UFC tournament, I watched like with my dad. But I remember it being a thing like, like for me, at least it was more a thing of like, and this is something too that they talk about in the series a little bit. It was more about, it was more a competition of like the different styles Mm -hmm. of fighting and which style is the most dominant style. You know what I mean? Whereas now it has morphed into like it's its own 
MMA is its own type of fighting. Like there are obviously different like disciplines, but for the most part at this point, they're all kind of mashed together. Um, but, but during that first term, I remember watching that and it being more about like, you know, because as I talk about Hoist Gracie wins, I remember like the Gracie family being like a huge deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And my dad being like, see, it's about being smart and technical and outthinking your opponents. It's not about who's the strongest or who's the biggest or who's the fastest, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and so that was like, if that is what MMA still was today, maybe I would be interested. But even then, it's like how you, I feel like you can't, like, there's a reason why it morphs into this sort of thing. It's like you can't keep doing a, which fighting style is the best? Well, and, and I feel like he did a good job of showing, like, as disaffection rose, he really did it in that one fighter, John Jones. Yeah. Where he really showed, like, hey, here's a guy who is athletically gifted, who doesn't have much, many options. Right. And so he's going to come fight. And our culture's is going to embrace him for the violence he can inf- inflict. We are not a culture of like <clears throat> honor, mm-hmm. you know, m- show your metal, right. <laughs> you know, test yourself. It's like, I still find it hilarious. Um, you know, in Scotland every year, I don't know what festival, but I feel like every year on Reddit, all of a sudden all these videos are uploaded of like people in Scotland, like chasing the wheel of cheese down the hill (laughs) and like throwing the log, you know? And you, it's like these old feats of strength where like one of them is like you, you take a huge like tree sized trunk and you have to like throw it up and like tip it over. Like the Mm. whole thing I remember watching a video one time, not understanding for like years. It's been like, what is this? And seeing somebody like throw a, a tree sized trunk uh-huh. and it not falling over and people being like, nah. And I was like, what are they even reacting to? And then I don't know. I feel like it was recently. I, I took the time to figure out what they're trying to do. Yeah. I was like, what a like medieval, like what a caveman way of like <laughs> showing your strength. Like, yeah, it felt like such like a early human way of like, watch this mating ritual of this man, find a huge tree right. and chuck it over yeah. until it falls over. Um, I was like, yeah, there's this like test your metal, test yourself against, you know, whatever each other or the environment. We're beyond that. Now yeah. it's like, we, we can survive now. We can support ourselves. We will not starve in our modern setting unless you are one of the disenfranchised masses, right? Which you could still starve to death. But largely for us, right? We're kind of middle class. We've made it. We're going to survive. Um, now what? Right? There's nothing really to test my I just want to like, a part of me is like, yeah, just go fight something or watch people fight. Or, mm. you know, there's that little bit of like fight club, or, you know, type of disaffection that maybe MMA is, is fulfilling now. Whereas when it first started, it was like, no, it was somebody who still felt inferior, but it was against like that fighting style. They wanted to prove themselves or honor was mm-hmm. at stake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're not there anymore. 
if it's honor, it's just somebody playing for show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a storyline. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's all I got. Yeah. Oh, uh, I watched Eighth Grade, okay. a movie. Mm-hmm. Watch it. Highly recommend. How did you see it? We rented it on Vudu. Oh, okay. Yeah. A uh, girl is navigating eighth grade, about to go into ninth. And so it's good. The Bo Burnham movie. Yes. Yeah, it looked good. It's really hard to watch. Elise and I, we haven't been that vocal in watching a movie in a while. But we were both like yelling, uh-huh. like, oh, no, no, don't. Please don't. Oh, no. Because uh-huh. she is. She's in eighth grade. She's trying to navigate life. Right. And she doesn't know what she's doing. And it, it can be hard to watch. Yeah. But it is it is really good. Okay. That's crazy.